in order to be a good Christian, and we, we get the witnessing thing down. And this church is always talking about discipleship, and so, okay, I'll do that little gig. And, I'll, okay, take me through your little lessons, and I'll do your little discipleship thing. And, and then, you know, we got this little worship gig going here, and, okay, we need to worship, and, and we need to give. And, and basically, there's a Christian life, right? It, it pretty much amounts to you read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you give your money, and you tell people about Jesus. And so we, we do all these things, but you know what? We all struggle doing all those things, right? And, and so pretty much at any given time, a pastor can come before the people and, okay, we can talk about, we can talk about prayer. Okay, we've been kind of doing this thing on Wednesday nights, so this is kind of fresh on my mind. We, we can talk about prayer, and we can talk about how little we pray. And, and I can bust that thing, man. Do you realize you had 168 hours last week? How much did you pray last week? And you know what, man? We can hammer that thing, and in light of 168 hours in a week, woo, buddy. You know, we're like, I certainly didn't have that much time. I know I didn't, you know? And we can get on a big guilt trip about how little we pray. And then, okay, the pastor comes and he preaches some big deal. And so, you know, Thursdays, man, we're praying like crazy. We're doing a real good job. Not quite as good on Friday, but oh, those Thursdays after the Wednesday night gigs, that's where we're doing pretty good. And we go on for a little while and, and we're doing pretty good with the prayer thing. And then, then he's going to come and then he's going to bust the book on you. He's going to do the same thing with the Bible. He's going to talk about... The, the, the incredible treasure that we have in this book, man. And God's given us this book, and we don't even read it. You know, we can go through the 168-hour thing again, and we can all get on a guilt trip, and so we all come, you know, forward, at least in our hearts, and we're saying, oh, God, I don't, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't read the Bible enough. Oh, God, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to read the whole thing, you know. And <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna to read the Bible more, you know. And so now as we're reading the Bible more, we ain't praying quite as good as we used to pray, you know, but we're doing good on the Bible thing. And then, okay, then he comes and he's going to talk about hell and talk about all the multitudes of people that are going to go there. And we're all going, oh, my, oh, my. I can't remember the last time I talked to anybody about Jesus. I, oh, I deserve to go to hell. I'm a terrible Christian. And, you know, we write on this guilt trip. And so we come out of that service and we're witnessing to dogs and cats and, I mean, anything that moves, man. I mean, we're just blasting people with the gospel. Open door or not, man. We're just, we're just getting it out there, you know. And so we're, oh, man, now we're, you know, we're a witnessing machine. And then, you know, we're going to talk about some other dimension of the Christian life. You get the picture. We do good with whatever we're getting hammered with. But if we ain't getting hammered, normally we ain't doing good. And whatever we're getting hammered on, that's the deal. And you see, what we've done is we've dissected the Christian life into all these little components of these little things that we do. And you see, we can't keep the motivation that we need to do these things because, listen, these things don't stand on their own. That's why we're struggling. This is not the Christian life. The Christian life is all about me and you 
giving glory to God. And you see, most of us aren't in that book because of a passion in our hearts to glorify God. And so we can't keep motivated because we've wiped out the true motivation to go there. We can't continue to be motivated to pray because do you realize according to John 14, 13, the only reason we pray is to glorify God. That's it. And if you take the glory out, then you know what it becomes? Majorly selfish exercise where we're telling God all the stuff we need Him to do that's going to make our situation in life better. And you know why we can't keep motivated to reach people with the gospel? It's because our motivation is not so that God can be glorified through this, uh, this guy here who doesn't know anything about him. My motivation is, and this is the going deal down at the church, man. They're talking about fruit, you know, and, and bearing fruit. And, man, I want to, I've been a fruit all my life, you know, so I want to I bear some fruit now, man. I want to win people to Christ, and the, the glory of God's not the issue. I'm the issue. And, and I'm telling you, we're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable when we're starting to dissect this Christian life thing out there into all of these little various components of all these things that we do. We're here, guys, to glorify God. And these things simply are means to that end. But if you take out the glory of God from those things... It's a meaningless exercise that we're going through. And, and I'm going through all of that because I firmly believe this. I, I mean, I, I, to me, the, the greatest truth that I think that the Lord has taught me in the last 25 years since I've been a Christian is the only way that I can keep myself motivated to bring glory to God is when I get a passion in my heart for that time when he will get the glory that he deserves on this planet. And that time is when he comes at his second coming. And I believe until that event, until it becomes a passion, an absolute passion, until it becomes an obsession in me, where I'm praying every single day, Oh God, I understand what's going on in this planet. I see it, God. Your name is disgraced. And I'm begging you for you to come in all of your power and glory and establish your kingdom on this earth when you, where you'll get the glory that is due your name. And you see, when that becomes a passion in us, when we're longing for that time when he'll get the glory, you know what? I can't wait to go to the Word of God because I want to see him revealed there in all of his glory and all of his splendor because that's what I'm longing for. And then when I go to pray, I'm not just praying to be a good little Christian boy. I'm there because I'm, I'm passionate for God saying, oh God, I want you to get the glory that you deserve. And, and I'm out there trying to, to, to walk through open doors that God has given, not so that I can get a notch on my belt because I won someone to Christ, but because I see that these people separated from God, are incapable of bringing God glory. And so you know what? The motivation for the Christian life comes when we get a passion for Him to be glorified and a passion 
for Him to be glorified comes when we're longing for Him to take His kingdom. It's the passage we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 11, when the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And, and, and that's why we're taking so much time on this. This is, this is, I mean, this is a salient passage, man, to help us in our Christian life to get ourselves motivated properly. And we, we saw in verses 14, the first part of verse 15, the review on your study sheet, we saw the announcement of heaven. The second woe is past. This is the announcement. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The announcement of heaven is the, number two, the arrival of the kingdom. Those kingdoms becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And then in verses 16 and 17, we saw this morning the adoration of the saints. The adoration of the saints. And tonight, as we continue, tonight we will see, Roman number four, the anger of the nations. Okay, so now here, here we are. The arrival of the kingdom has been announced throughout all of heaven. And what we see is the four and twenty elders, the church, we see them adoring the Lord Jesus Christ because he's going to take that which is his and he is going to come. After all of these years, he is going to fulfill his eternal purpose and he's going to rule and reign on, on this planet. But now the anger of the nations. Verse 18 says, And the nations were angry and the nations were angry and I want you to see two times where the nations express their anger first of all letter a their anger at the battle of Armageddon their anger at the battle of Armageddon and that's a r m a g e d d o n their anger at the battle of Armageddon. And I'll tell you what, folks, what we're going to see here is that man is one incredible rebel. I, I mean, we're more rebellious. I'm telling you, folks, we're more rebellious than any of us have ever in our wildest imaginations we've ever imagined. Now, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about what we've seen to, to this point, it, right here, in the, directly in the context that we're dealing with. What we see here in, in, in verse uh, 15 is the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Now, we, as I mentioned this morning, we've been in a major parenthesis now for about two chapters. But if you'll go back in your mind to when the trumpets first started to sound and he began to bring us through the tribulation. Okay, now I want you to think about this. We're at the seventh trumpet it's sounding here but now let's just go back in our minds and let's just pick up what has gone on with the sounding of those first six trumpets you remember that that first trumpet sounded and what the Bible says is that hail and fire mingled with blood came out of heaven and was was cast to the earth and as a result of that that hail and that fire mingled with blood one-third of the world's vegetation was burned up. And then we saw the, the second trumpet sounded. And if you want to just kind of breeze through this, you can go back 
to chapter 8, because this is where all of this is. That first angel is in chapter 8 and verse 7, and then verse 8, that, that second angel sounds his trumpet, and this, this huge meteorite comes flaming to the earth, and John says that it was like this incredible burning mountain that was coming out of heaven, and he says that it landed in the sea, and when it did, a third of the sea became blood. And as a result, one-third of sea life was killed, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. And so you can already begin to imagine the famine that would have uh, affected the world's population or will affect the world's population during the, the tribulation period. With a third of the vegetation destroyed and a third of the sea life destroyed, you, you've cut out about a third of the world's food. And then with a third of the world's ships that are used to distribute the, the food destroyed, now we've just, man, we've just encountered all kinds of problems. And then the third angel sounds, and another huge meteorite of some sort falls out of the sky, and this time a third of the fresh water supply of the earth is poisoned, and the scripture says that many men died as a result of that contaminated fresh water. Then the fourth trumpet sounded, and incredible changes were taking place, or will take place, in the sun and the moon and the stars, so that they shine at only two-thirds of their normal capacity. And rather than working like the sun and the moon and the stars are doing right now on a 24-hour on uh, cycle, what, what it says is, is that this fourth trumpet, that that is also going to be cut by a third, so that it becomes not a 24-hour day, but a 16-hour day. And those first four were all bad. And I mean, you can just imagine the, the state of panic that the entire world is going to be in when those things begin to take place. And then the fifth angel sounds. And you'll remember that the fifth trumpet is the first woe. I mean, now the, the, the pressure, now the, the judgment is even greater to where God calls them the woe judgments. And at the sounding of the, the fifth trumpet, the Lord Jesus Christ takes the key, this is chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ takes the key to the bottomless pit and he unlocks it. And when he does, it, smoke comes billowing out of that pit and along with the smoke come some of the, the freakiest creatures that even Hollywood has ever, in their wildest imagination, ever uh, imagined. He describes them here as these flying, demonic scorpion locust but they're not like the normal locust they, they don't mess around with plants and grass and trees and, and vegetation these locusts prey on men and not killing men I mean that would be the good news they don't kill men they just torture them and what he, what he says here is that they sting with a sting that is excruciating. It's like the sting of a scorpion that lasts and doesn't, doesn't decline whatsoever. It's a sting that lasts for five solid months. The, the sting is so excruciating that men will literally try to kill themselves, but they won't be able to do it. And then the sixth trumpet sounds. It's the second woe. And what happens at the sounding of the sixth trumpet is a demonic army of 200 million, 
mounted on horses, come tearing across the earth, breathing out fire and smoke and brimstone. And what the scripture says is that a third of the world's population is wiped out by this 200 million demonic army. Now, that's what's taken place in the first six trumpets. Now, folks, I'm just telling you, I just got to believe. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the wimpiest guy in the world. I, I don't think I'm the, the biggest stud muffin that ever walked the planet. But I just got to tell you, I do believe that after seeing all of this stuff, if I'm living in the tribulation period, I mean, after seeing all of that, I'm, I'm crying uncle, you know? Whoa! Uh-uh! Man, I'm telling you, I don't know what I got to do, but whatever it is, man, I, I'm, I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I'm, man, I'm just, uh, I'll do whatever needs to happen because I, I've seen enough. But watch what it says after those six trumpet sounds. Chapter 9, look at verse 20. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands that... Their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. I mean, they are seeing the hand of God, man, in judgment all around them, and they're still worshiping stuff that they made with their own hands that can't hear, can't walk, can't do any of that. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. I mean, after seeing all of that, I mean, stuff that you couldn't pass off to coincidence. Uh, you know, strange weather we're having, ain't it? You know? I mean, you, you don't... You can't pass off all this stuff that we saw in the six... the sounding of those six trumpets to, you know, bad weather and all that. I mean, this is stuff that you know is God. And, and yet man refuses to repent. And then the seventh trumpet sounds... Okay? He's going to take the kingdoms of this world. Now listen. I mean, after seeing all of that, don't you think that they understand the incredible power that he has? And you would just, I mean, you would think that they would be crying out as that seventh trumpet sounds, that the nations of the world would be crying out for mercy. Verse 18 says... They're ticked off. They're angry. Go over to chapter 16. Let's just do a little foreshadowing of where we're going to be going here in the next whatever. This is that fourth time that he's bringing us through the tribulation period. We're getting ready to, in chapter 12 through 14, we're going to start going through it for the third time. But when we come to chapter 16, it's the fourth time that we're making our way through the tribulation period. This time through the, the vials. And look at what he says in verse 1. He says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So here we go. We're going through the tribulation period again. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. 
And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true, righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Again, I mean, man, they are just getting toasted. They ain't going to repent. They ain't going to give glory to God. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You see what I'm talking about, about the rebellion of man? I mean, incredible. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which goeth forth uh, unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And you know what? Here are all the nations of the world. And they're gathering together, together after seeing all of this, after experiencing all of the, the pain of these sores and the, the sun and, and all of these things, and after seeing all of that, here they are, and they're, they're, they're gathering their troops together in battle against the nation of Israel and against the Lord Jesus Christ. Go over to chapter 19. Chapter 19 and verse 11, this is when, of course... We see the second coming again in the book of Revelation. He heaven opens in chapter 19 and verse 11. Behold, a white horse, he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and righteousness. He doth judge and make war. And he goes through you know, uh, his eyes and his head and, and his vesture and, and all of the, these things. Verse 16, he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And drop down to verse 19. It says, and I saw the beast, and watch this now, and the kings of the earth and their armies, here's the nations, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, I'm just telling you, is that guts or what? I mean, you, you've seen him from heaven just start doing all this stuff right out of heaven. And here he comes, man. I mean, they're looking at him, and they're saying, come on, man, bring it on. The nations are angry. This is what we saw several weeks ago now, back in Psalm 2. Why don't you turn back there for a second? Psalm 2. David's looking down through the corridor of time. They're looking ahead to that time when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take the kingdoms of this world. And you know, 
I mean, he, he understands that he's going to come and he's going to sit on his throne, the throne of David, man. He understands all that, but when he looks down the corridor of time, that's not what he sees initially. What he sees is the angry nations that we're talking about here. And so he says in verse 1, why? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine, check it out, a vain thing? What in the world are they doing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, you tell me. They couldn't do jack squat about anything going on in the tribulation period, and now here he comes out of heaven, and they're saying, Yeah, come on, y'all. Let's put it together here, and let's, let's, let's do a number on them. Mind-boggling. I love verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And I'm just telling you, man. Man's rebellion is absolutely incredible. He's so rebellious that he's not even rational. He's so rebellious, he can't think straight. You know what? We have that happen all the time around here. People who will be faced, I mean, bam, the truth of God put right in their face, the Spirit of God doing a number on their hearts, doing all the things there, and they're so rebellious that they're not even rational. They understand it all. They understand by rejecting Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. They understand that this may be the only time that the Spirit of God is convicting of sin and righteousness and of judgment. It may be the only time that the Father is drawing them. But no! So rebellious, they're not rational. But check this out. Not only is man's rebellion apparent through the, the anger of the nations at the battle of Armageddon, but I want you to see the anger of the nations at the final battle, and that's letter B. Their anger, that is the, the anger of the nations at the final battle. And, and now really, okay, now listen to what I'm going to say right here. Really, this is what is the context of Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18. Listen. What we're dealing with in Revelation chapter eight, uh, 11 and verse 18 when it says the nations were angry is not really the battle, uh, the, the, the rebellion at the battle of Armageddon when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the earth to establish his, his kingdom here. It's a different time. It, what we, and we'll see that in, in just a moment. But you see, the, the anger of the nations is expressed at the end of the millennium as well. Now, a lot of you have never really gone through the book of, of Revelation, to be quite honest with you. Before we began this study, the book was intimidating to me, and man, I, just some parts of it, you know, just quite never could come together for me, and so, man, it's, it's, it's beginning to come together, believe it or not. But I want you to see, because some, some of you don't understand that this is going to take place, but I want you to see this. Uh, in, in what's happening here in Revelation chapter 11 
is the anger that is expressed by the nations at the end of the millennium. Okay, and, and watch how we know that. Go back to verse 15, right here in, in chapter 11. Watch this now. Okay, and the angel, uh, the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world, now watch this now, are become. Now, what tense is that? It's present tense, right? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And what tense is that? It's future, right? So no problem. Okay, get it in your mind here. The trumpet sounds. The sounding of that seventh trumpet. And at that moment, present tense, the kingdoms become His. Okay, so we're standing at the second coming of Christ here. He's going to take those kingdoms. Okay, and He shall reign forever and ever. Okay, and so the, the time frame is someone at the end of the, the tribulation period, at the second coming of Christ, looking ahead through the thousand years of the millennium and then on out into eternity. The kingdoms are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Okay, you tracking with me? Through the millennium and right on into the eternal kingdom. But watch what happens in verse 17. In the midst of our worship, now watch what it is that we're actually saying as we're worshiping Him. Verse 17, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and, now watch this one now, hast reigned. And what tense is that? That's past tense. And you know what we find here? Back in chapter 12, or back in verse 12, where we were there, we were in the tribulation period. And then in verse 15, it was the second coming of Christ. And then verse 16 and 17, the church is worshiping God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, looking back on the entire millennial reign of Christ. He's already completed his reign. You tracking? He's saying, boy, I mean, I, I do see the, that, you know, the tenses that you're talking about, but I'm just not so sure that I could, I could go with that. I mean, surely the Bible doesn't do that kind of stuff. Well, uh, let, let me just show you where it does. Uh, we'll be back here, but we go to Isaiah for just a second. Isaiah chapter 9. And of course, this is a real familiar passage. It says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born. And this is a prophecy concerning his first coming, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
Okay, that's the first coming of Christ. Now, now watch, watch what happens. Colon, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Is that the first coming of Christ? No, nope. it's the second coming of Christ. Right there, bam, one verse. Unto us a son is given, or a child is born. Unto us a son is given. First coming, bam. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. It's first coming or second coming? It's a second coming right in the text where we go to prove the fact that God was going to come to this planet by a, a, a virgin birth. Okay, and now go to Luke chapter 1. Let me show you this again. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 30. This is the account of the angel coming to Mary and notifying her that, that she had found favor with God. And watch what the angel says in verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Okay, now we're we talking about the first coming and we're talking about the second coming. We're talking about the first coming, right? She's going to conceive in her womb and she's going to bring forth a son, first coming of Christ, and shall call his name Jesus, first coming of Christ. He shall be great, first coming of Christ, and shall be called the son of the highest, first coming of Christ. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David second coming of Christ and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever second coming of Christ and of his kingdom there shall be no end second coming of Christ and what I'm trying to get you to see here is that this is not some wild thing that God's doing over here in Revelation chapter 11 God can just I mean he transcends time and there's sometimes right here in his book when he does that very same thing. So let's go back now to Revelation chapter 11. And you see, this is very important. If you're ever going to have a proper understanding of the rest of verse 18, is to understand what we're actually talking about, what time period that, that we're dealing with here. What, what we're dealing with at the end of verse 17 is the church worshiping him because of the fact that he has already taken up his power and has ruled for a thousand years through his millennial reign. And that's when, verse 18, that's when, at the end of the millennium, that's when the nations were angry. And you find this over in chapter 20. Turn, turn over there, if you would. Revelation chapter 20. And of course, when we get to chapter 20, what we're going to find is, is in the first six verses, it's spelling out for us the, the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. But watch what happens at the end of the millennium in verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, okay, that's the end of the millennium, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. 
Now, at the beginning of the tribulation, or the beginning of the, the millennium, at the second coming of Christ, he was cast into the bottomless pit. Now, at the end of the thousand years, he, he, is, he is loosed out of his prison, verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. It's going to happen again, y'all. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And listen, you, you thought that the rebellion... Of, of man was expressed after seeing all of the, the judgments being poured out on this earth during the tribulation period and coming through all of that, coming to the battle of Armageddon and thinking that they're going to do battle against the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to check this out, guys. After the millennium, after seeing the righteousness and joy and peace in the reign of Christ on the earth. I mean, it is absolutely, the, the scripture says, it's covered the earth as a sea, his, his righteousness. I mean, and after seeing that for a period of a thousand years, what this is saying to us is that there are still people who will rebel against God. Somehow they will be deceived by Satan and they are going to say exactly what the nation of Israel said at the first coming of Christ. We will not have this man to reign over us. Is that mind-boggling? Now, lest there be anybody here that's going, Oh my goodness, man. I hope I'm not one of those people. Don't worry. You won't be. This is not in reference to you, and we'll see that as we go on here tonight. But now check it out. The rebellion of man is something major. And we ought, to, we ought to learn something from this tonight, guys, about ourselves. Because, you see, we're all a part of mankind. And, man, I'm telling you, it's... It's the wildest thing in the world to me sometimes. I mean, I've been at this thing long enough to where, man, I've seen some people through the years that, man, they walked with God. I mean, these people were dialed in. These people praised God. These people had it. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something happens in their life that they don't like. And you know what happens to them? People who are just like us, man. They're Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night if you're doing the fasting gig and, you know, the, the whole shot. We'll be there for the whole deal. Disciple, man, we'll disciple. Pray, we'll pray. We'll do it all. I mean, and there's, there's people sat right where we're sitting tonight walking with God but tonight don't have one thing to do with him angry 
my God. I mean, come on, figure that out now. In light of all of his goodness in saving us, get ticked off at God. And, and you know what? I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to shoot anybody on that deal. Because the final chapter hadn't been written in my life yet. I might be one of those. You, you know what? I, and I'm not. I can't remember if we talked about this or not. We got a missionary. And we support in this church. Man, I'm telling you, love God enough to leave this continent and go to one of the darkest places on this planet, the country of Thailand. And he served there, man, and walked with God, and he shared with me his heart, he shared with me his burden, and I've prayed with him, I've talked with him, I've strategized with him, all that whole deal. And tonight, he's sitting in Florida, having left his wife and his kids, and he doesn't want me, you, his mom, his dad, his wife, his aunt, his uncle, his best friends. He doesn't want anybody talking to him. Angry at God. People go along in their Christian life, and man, things are going cool, but then all of a sudden, and, and you see, this is, I'm just telling you guys, there's lots of stuff that can happen out there. Something happens to one of their kids. Bam! Shut down. Rebellious against God. I'm not going to have that man rule over me. He didn't have to allow that to happen to me. He didn't have to allow that to happen to my kid. And, and you know what? Sometimes I, I play weird games with myself. It's terrible. But I, I just think about somebody doing something to one of my kids. And I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't think right. I, I don't. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm, I'm carnal. I'm a dirtbag. I'm scum. And so, you know what? I don't want to shoot at anybody. I'm just telling you, man. If people can go through the entire millennium and see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his power and glory and righteousness, and they can look at all of that and come down to the end, and Satan is going to deceive some of those people, I'm just telling you. Wait till the finer, final chapter is written before we start shooting people. Because maybe... Some of those people we shoot may end up being us. I mean, you know what? I, I'm looking out at this group. believe you love God with all your heart, man. But you know what? There were people in this room a year ago that I believed the same thing about. Right now, they're mad at God. God didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do. Man's an incredibly rebellious creature, guys. So, the announcement of heaven led to the arrival of the kingdom, which led to the of God. Okay, at this point, okay, what point are we at? We're at the end of the millennium. What's going to happen here is God is going to allocate, or He is going to assign to every person their share. 
He's going to assign to every person at the end of the millennium what they deserve. And we see, first of all, letter A, His coming wrath. Verse 18 says, The nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. Psalm 2 and verse 12 says, listen, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. And folks, listen, in verse 18, when His wrath is come, a little is all it's going to take to totally remove all of the wickedness in this world. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6 for just a sec. Revelation chapter 6, this is at the second coming of, of, of Christ. In verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You know what? They're more afraid of the face of the Lamb than they are the mountains and the rocks. The wrath of God. But the actual wrath that Revelation 11 verse 18 is, is talking about, when it says, Thy wrath is come, it's found in Revelation chapter 20. So turn over there again, Revelation chapter 20. We saw this just a, just a minute ago. The nations are angry in verse 8. And His wrath is come... In verse 9, And they, that's the nations, went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And oh, buddy, I bet you at this point, God's really nervous, man. These armies, they're coming against God. Check it out. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's... His coming wrath. Now, now go back to chapter 11, verse 18. Notice next, His coming judgment. His coming judgment. Verse 18 goes on. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Now, 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 Look at it again. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Now make sure you understand here. This judgment that he's referring to here in verse 18 isn't the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers in the church age. And it, it, it isn't a place where our works are judged to determine whether or not we go to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ is a place where our works are judged to determine what kind of rewards we'll receive. And now listen, the judgment seat of Christ 
takes place in heaven following the rapture of the church and it's taking place while the tribulation period is going on down on the earth so listen the the judgment that verse 18 is talking about isn't the judgment seat of Christ the judgment it's talking about is the great white throne judgment that takes place at the end of the millennium and so let's go to chapter 20 once again and let, let's see this thing chapter 20 and this time verse 11 okay now now just kind of with your eye there catch the context okay verse 9 is where we just saw his wrath expressed against the nations that were vaunting themselves and expressing their anger in verse 8 and then you see in verse 10 that he takes the, the devil and he cast him and he's tormented forever and ever now, now watch verse 11 he says and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead okay now that's what Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 was just talking about he says I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works okay now that's the judgment that Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 is talking about the great white throne judgment now go back to chapter 11 again and watch the first aspect of this this judgment the first aspect of this judgment according to verse 18 is the reward of the saints the reward of the saints now in verse 18 we, we've been talking about the time of the dead that they should be judged and watch the reward of the saints at this judgment here it, 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 keep going in verse 18 and that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants thy, thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great now make sure that as you're, you're reading through that you don't get a brain cramp in the middle of reading that verse and think that he's talking about church age saints here because he isn't now remember we, we just I've been trying to nail this in your mind here the judgment seat of Christ at this point in the book of Revelation the judgment seat of Christ has taken place a thousand years previous to this judgment in verse 18 so these aren't church age saints that are being judged here this is not the judgment seat of Christ what is happening here is this is tribulation and millennial saints being judged at the great white throne judgment and that'll pose a problem for a lot of people if that's what this is because you see most people if they've been taught anything at all about the great white throne judgment what they were taught is that at the great white throne judgment that this is a judgment for all of the unsaved dead and that there won't be any saved people at the great white throne judgment how many of you have been taught that Okay, how many of you have never been taught about the great white throne judgment? Okay, how many of you are just proud to be here tonight? <laughs> yeah, just let me know when the sermon's over. I'll, I'll stand up then. Okay, most of us, 
if we've been taught anything at all, been taught that the great white throne is for the unsaved dead and there ain't no saved people there. But are, are you in chapter 11 right now? Okay. Verse 18 lets you know that that isn't the case. Because, listen, somebody at this judgment is receiving rewards. And notice, now look at, look at the verse, notice that they're not receiving rewards for believing on his name or receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior or being born again or calling upon the name of the Lord. They're receiving rewards for fearing his name. And check that out. For fearing his name. And, and turn over to chapter 14 for a second. Chapter 14. And look at verse 6. And I saw another angel. Now, understand that we're in the midst of the tribulation period in, in Revelation 14. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So you're getting ready to find out what is the gospel that is being presented during the tribulation period. Here it is. They're saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now folks, what you have there is a tribulation gospel. And the people who fear God and, and carry out what this verse says, those people are tribulation saints. That's the ones that we're talking about back there in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Listen, what we see here, this is not the same gospel that Paul delivered to us. Paul never stood before any group of people in, in the church age and said, Fear God! Fear His name. You know, what Paul said is, believe on His name. Call upon His name. But never fear His name. But you see, that's what believers in the tribulation are told to do. Fear Him because the hour of judgment is coming. And, and, and here it is. You better fear Him. You better fear God. You better fear Him more than you fear the Antichrist. Because you see, if you take the mark of the beast, buddy, and you don't fear God enough to endure to the end, then you won't be, what? You afraid to say it? You won't be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. So you better fear God out there. Because there's going to be something else that you're going to fear. You'll have your head chopped off if you don't take the mark of the beast. But buddy, you better fear God because the hour of His judgment is coming. And boy, you think getting your head chopped off is some big deal. Just, just wait until you find out what eternity without Christ is going to be. You see, you, you allow yourself 
to be deceived by Satan at the end of the millennium. You better fear God, man, because if you get deceived out there at the end of the millennium and you're part of the nations that get angry, oh, buddy, you're going to be in for a great surprise. And you see, folks, the reason that chapter 20 talks about the fact that the book of life is opened at the great white throne judgment, and, and now listen, I think most of us who have been taught that there ain't going to be any saved people at the great white throne, we're also taught that the, the book of life is opened to prove to those people they ain't there. Okay, right. Listen, those books are open because there's some people's names from the tribulation and the millennium who are in there. And there's some people who aren't. And you get your name in there by fearing God and giving Him glory and worshiping Him. But now listen, as soon as you stop doing those things in the tribulation period or in the millennium, you can get your name blotted out of there unless you're a part of the body of Christ. And you see, at this point, we'll already be like Him. You understand that? We're already in Him. You can't get out of Him. We're something different. But buddy, if you're, if you're one of those tribulation saints, if you're one of those people that go into the millennium and, and, and you're in there, you, you better toe the mark. Because you see, you're not. You're, you're, the salvation is not secure if you're one of those. And you see, that's what the, the passages like Revelation 22 and verse 19 is talking about where it talks about God taking away a man's part out of the book of life. You ever read that thing and go, oh my goodness, man, that's, that's kind of wild. God's going to take my name? I didn't think we could lose our salvation, but it says right there that He's going to take some people's part out of the book of life. Listen, it's not in reference to church-age saints. It's not in reference to people who are in Christ, but tribulation and millennial saints who must endure unto the end to be saved. And God says there in Revelation 22, 19, basically what He's saying is, you jerk my book around and I'll jerk your name right out of the book of life. And you know what? It means exactly what it says. But that's not in reference to us. But what we see here in Revelation chapter 11 is there will be saints who are rewarded at the great white throne judgment. So we see the reward of the saints, and then next, the destruction of the wicked. The destruction of the wicked. And go back to chapter 11, verse 18, if you're not already there. He's going to judge the dead, and the saints will be rewarded. And then look at the last part of verse 18. He's also going to destroy them, which destroy the earth. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15 says that at the great white throne judgment, that whosoever, listen to it, at the great white throne judgment, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the destruction of the wicked. So those are the allocations of God. His wrath is going to come. His judgment is going to come, and some people will be saved. They will be rewarded, and some will not be saved, and they'll be destroyed. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. So, we've seen the announcement of heaven, 
announcing the arrival of the kingdom, prompting the adoration of the saints, giving way to the anger of the nations and the allocations of God. And then finally we see in verse 19, you know it begins with an A, right? What is it? The ark of God's testament. The ark of God's testament. Verse 19 says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And what we find here, folks, is you know where we are now? We're right back at the second coming of Christ again. This is the same stuff that we saw in chapter 6 at the second coming of Christ at the opening of the sixth seal. Again, that was the second coming of Christ. It's the same thing that we're going to see in, in chapter 16, and verse 21, in, in the account over there of the second coming of Christ. Okay, that's where we are here in verse 19. But the ark thing, okay, that, that's something, that's a, that's a different twist. And, and, I, and I want you to notice, first of all, its placement is revealed in the temple of heaven. Its placement is revealed in the temple of in heaven. Now verse 19 says, look at it again, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And, and we've learned from, from our study together that according to the book of Hebrews, that the Jewish tabernacle and the, the Jewish temple were actually replicas of the true tabernacle or the true temple, which was where? In heaven, right? And in verse 19, that temple in heaven is opened. And, and we're able to, to see into it. And, and here's John, and he, he's looking into it. And John says, as I was looking into that, that temple up in heaven, man, there was something that, that stood out. You know what it was? It was the ark of his testament. Now, folks, as you study the, the ark of his testament, what you, what you find is that the blessings of God upon Israel went along with the ark. You remember what we, we've seen? The Jordan River rolled back as the ark passed through. The walls of Jericho fell before it. The, the enemies of God were, were, were scattered when, when the ark w appeared. When the ark was with Israel, then Israel rested in safety. And, and what, we, what we see going on here in verse 19 is, is God is making a statement to Israel. You remember, you remember what we talked about when we first started Revelation chapter 11? We talked about this being the most important chapter in the Bible. You remember what we, we, we talked about the fact that most of the people on this planet today who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ believe that the church is now spiritual Israel and has replaced Israel and that all of the promises that were meant for Israel are now meant for us. And you know what God's showing us here? That ain't the truth. What he's showing us here is that he is going to, he's going to fulfill every single promise that he ever made to the nation of Israel. Folks, listen, the, the temple has nothing whatsoever to do with believers in the church age. The, the church doesn't have a temple. The, the ark doesn't have anything to do with, with us. Remember according to uh, Ephesians chapter 2? We were the people, the Gentiles. We were the ones who were without a covenant. We were the ones who were without a testament. And, and what we see going on here is God reminding us that He's going to fulfill 
every single promise to the nation of Israel. And you see that, that ark. That ark contained all of the promises of God to Israel in that heavenly temple. And John looks at that thing and he says, I, I saw that ark. God's still going to do everything that he said that he was going to do to the nation of Israel. He's going to put his king. He's still going to sit on the throne of David. He's still going to come to Jerusalem. And he's going to rule and reign over the entire earth. You see, that's every promise that was given to them all through the Old Testament. And God's saying, you know what? I haven't forgotten about that for a lick. And as John gets that reminder and sees the placement of the ark revealed in the temple in heaven, next, its power is then released throughout all the earth. Its power is released throughout all the earth. And the rest of verse 19 says, And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Listen, when God goes to fulfill His promises to the nation of Israel, it's going to come like a major storm. You know what? When you see lightning and thunder and all of that, you know something major is getting ready to happen. And at the sounding of that seventh trumpet, God is going to restore every promise to the nation of Israel. And He says it's going to be met with lightning and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and a great hail. And what we see here is the crowning of the Messiah. Him coming to this earth and finally setting up the kingdom that he has always been worthy of and always deserving of. It's the kingdom that he wants us to have in our heart. He wants it to be the focal point of our life because when we're longing for him to get the glory that is his in his kingdom, you know what? It has such a purifying effect on our life every single day. You know what? When I'm praying every single day, oh God, I pray for your kingdom to come. Oh God, I'm longing for that day. Oh God, I want you to get the glory that you deserve and I know that what's going to happen on this planet today is going to be so far removed from that. And oh God, I'm longing for that day. And when, listen, when that's more than words of, off of our lips, when that is something that is down in our gut, when, when our thirst and our hunger for God is expressed by wanting to see Him glorified in His kingdom, you know what? It's just really difficult to get up off of your knees after that and then go out and live for the kingdom of this world, which is totally against everything that He is. See, that's what I'm talking about with it. Being a motivating factor in our life to cause us to glorify God, living for that time when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Let's pray. And now, Lord, I, I pray that in the midst of teaching and, and needing to come to grips with, with, with some of these passages that are a little more difficult than, than others, I pray that in the midst of, of dissecting them and learning all of this, this stuff as we've compared Scripture with Scripture tonight, 
I pray right now that you'd just allow your truth to sift down into our hearts. And I pray that as a result of the things that we've studied today, that there would be a, a passion inside of us for your kingdom to come to this planet. And because we understand that at any given moment it's at least seven years away, our prayer, Lord, is that that your kingdom would come in us every single day. And that our heart, our life, our vessel, as it were, you would be able to possess it. That you would sit enthroned in the kingdom of our life and of our hearts. We would glorify You with every word that comes out of our mouth, with every motive of our heart, with every deed that we do in this body. May we glorify You. May it be what drives us to Your Word. May it be what drives us to pray. May it be what drives us to win people to Christ. May it drive us to go to the ends of the earth, to reach heathen like us who've never yet even heard the gospel. Spare us from ourself and selfish motive and preoccupation with, with self and enthroning self and help us to, to long for Your glory. And with our heads bowed for just a second, and Christians, you talk to God about what He talked to you about. If you're here tonight and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that's why God wanted you to come here tonight. Not just to hear somebody go off on the book of Revelation. God wanted you to know that He loves you, and He's building a kingdom, and He wants you to be a part of it. And He's done everything in the world that is possible to bring you into His family. He's even allowed you tonight to be under the sound of the Word of God because you see it's the preaching of the Word of God that He has chosen to use to bring people to Himself. And tonight, as, as you were here and you were listening to me preach, if, if God was doing something in your heart, and God was speaking to you about your life and about your sin and about your need to receive Him. And before you leave here tonight, would you please talk to somebody? Oh, the hour is so late. Oh, I wish I could, I wish we had the time to, to show you just how late biblically it is. And if God's speaking to your heart now, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Maybe somebody invited you to, to come and, and you're sitting with them. Listen, before you leave, or on your way home if you came with them, talk to them about what it means to enter into a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you came here on your own and tonight you don't know that if you were to die that you'd go to heaven, or if the rapture were to take place, if you don't know that you would be taken at that time, then listen, before you leave, our pastors, we'll, we'll be up here at the front. I'll be here. Come talk to me. And if you're a woman, I'll get a woman that can talk to you. 
but, but for God's sake, oh, if God's speaking to you, don't, don't leave here tonight without receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your Savior. And so, Lord, do your, your bidding, do your work in the lives of, of lost people here tonight and in all of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.